Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast with all the news, views and gossip from the English top flight. We are podding on through these difficult times with no actual idea of when football may return or even if it will return. Although that particular issue may have just become a little bit clearer, according to an exclusive story being published in today's Independent. We'll get on to that very shortly. We're also going to talk about Harry Kane's admission that he could soon leave Spurs. And we're going to look at transfer news from the league, including a move for Arsenal star Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and some potential new signings for Newcastle United. And as well as that, we're all going to get misty-eyed about Euro 96 as watching the retro tournament could be how a fair few of us end up spending our summer. I'm Jim Salverson, and to chat through all that stuff, I've got Marley Anderson and Niall McCall on today's podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, boys. Hello. Uh, guys, I've come with... Um, I've got a present for us, which I um, found when I was cleaning my house out this weekend. Would you like to hear it? Yes, definitely. Right, three, two, one... No oh, way! <laughs> we've, got, we've got a remote cliche bell. <laughs> Damn right we do. Except instead, instead of being blue and saying cliche bell on it, it's pink and says ring for Prosecco. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit early for Prosecco. We could be very slurred by the end of this podcast. Oh, I'm delighted to have the return of the cliche bell. It's felt like a three-wheeled car. It felt like a reliant Robin without it, but the important fourth wheel is back in action. It will drive us through today's podcast right let's kick off with news of a potential premier league return now the premier league clubs are meeting later this week to decide if and when a return might happen if it's going to happen in the next few weeks which i think we can all accept is totally off the table at the moment given that the uk are currently talking about potential restrictions for the next six months in terms of isolation and lockdown but a story has come out today in the independent who are claiming that they've got an exclusive and that exclusive is that the Premier League are looking to resume the season this June and when it does resume they'll try to play all 
92 remaining games over a two-month period in a kind of World Cup format. So all the teams will up sticks and they'll move to training camps in the Midlands, kind of like they do during the World Cup. So they'll all be separated from each other. They'll live, they'll train and they'll be based in the Midlands and they'll play all games in Midlands stadiums. So there'll be two or three main stadiums. I assume these will be behind closed doors, which means you don't need to worry about the capacity of those stadiums. They could literally be on training grounds, I guess, if they wanted them to be. But that will all be screened on TV. So we'll essentially be watching Premier League football every single day through June and July as they try and wrap up the season. What do you boys make of these proposals? Niall, you can start. Imagine the Merseyside derby but being played in Walsall Stadium. Be mad, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'll tell you what's weird about this is we're going to have to find a way to, to complete the season. Everyone said a couple of weeks ago that the priority was to finish the Premier League season. I think that is the right thing to do, particularly in these circumstances and, and the, the financial aspect that goes with the Premier League. Uh, the longer we are without football, the, the more that clubs, not just in the top flight, but around the country will suffer. And to be honest, this whole idea of playing in a tournament style is quite appealing because, you know, it's it's something different. It's something fresh. I think everyone's absolutely you know, desperate to see football on their TV or in any sort of form. I think the the Belarus Premier League was the only league that was still going in the professional game over the weekend. So I think there was a mm. bit of an influx of betting on that league at the weekend. But interestingly enough, the idea of home advantage and, uh, you know, the idea of playing home and away games disappears, doesn't it? If this is to become a thing. So I mentioned the Merseyside derby there kind of jokingly, but, you know, the advantage of a home side in a derby game or an important relegation battle, the advantage of having the game at home and in front of your own fans is taken away. Now, I know that it's going to be like that if we played behind closed doors. For instance, let's just say, imagine Sunderland were in the Premier League. It was, you know, a time weird derby, Newcastle against Sunderland. And, you know, St. James's Park was closed. I still think Newcastle would have an advantage playing that game at St. James's Park, even if the stadium was empty, than they would if they played it in a neutral ground, I don't know, let's say Middlesbrough or somewhere like that. So it's it's a difficult one for me to get my head around. But if it's the only option to get the Premier League restarted again, I think that it's something we're going to have to grin and bear, unfortunately. Well, the home team do has control over things like pitch size for example. So you'd assume that the venues they picked would have to be neutral venues. So say, for example, if they're talking about Midlands venues, you had Molyneux, um, I want to say the Walker Stadium, but Leicester's ground's not called that. Whatever the Leicester ground's called now. King Power. King Power, that's right. Of course, it's called the King Power. Uh, And you've got Villa Park. If you've got those three grounds as the preferred grounds that these games would be played at, you just wouldn't play. Aston Villa wouldn't play at Villa Park. Leicester wouldn't play at King Power. You just have to mix it up because you're right, there would be an advantage. But then again, Aston Villa versus Wolves is somewhat of a, a Midlands derby. So it's like saying, oh, Portsmouth, you've got to go and play your games on a neutral ground and go into St. Mary's. That's not a neutral ground. That's absolutely not. I, there's I don't no understand fans there, I mean, regardless of whether there's... That doesn't make any difference to me. I don't, I don't think... I think I think that, that it's a strange one. Like you're saying, teams have control over pitch size. Well, they don't really unless they're marking the pitch out that morning and, as you say, playing it on the training ground, they don't have control over pitch size whatsoever. The size of Walsall's ground or Birmingham's ground or Villa's ground is the size it is. You can't change that because there's stands in the way and seats in the way. So I think that there's lots of different kind of areas of this 
idea to play in neutral grounds in the Midlands, which need to be explored, which is probably why the exclusive in the newspaper this morning said the Premier League are looking mm. at rather than the Premier League have decided upon, because there are lots of facets to this. I think it's interesting. I'm not against the idea, and it probably sounds in the tone of my voice that I am slightly against it. I'm not. I think it could be a very, very good idea. I just think we need to be careful with this whole idea of neutral ground. I don't think playing at a Villa Park is a neutral stadium for, for, for Wolves. I don't think it is. I think you need to play somewhere like Walsall, where it's completely neutral. If you're not letting fans in, why does the size of the stadium matter anyway? You know, as long as you can get the broadcasting equipment in there and you have adequate facilities, which I'm sure most of these broadcasting companies do have, then I don't see the issue of playing it at a training ground. I don't see the issue of playing it, you know, at a stadium which is in the lower leagues. I don't, I don't understand where the issue comes from that. So for me, I think that they do need to look a little bit more carefully about the idea of these neutral grounds, because I think that there will be an excuse for some teams if things go pear-shaped for them towards the end of the season, where they'll be able to use that as an excuse. And for the integrity of the competition, the Premier League want to make sure they avoid any sort of conflict in terms of that. I mean, I guess VAR is going to play a part in terms of which grounds can host games. I mean, and the Premier League have made a rod for their own back in that respect that only some grounds up and down the country are equipped to have VAR but I think that what this is telling me is we're looking at June July here for this potential tournament scenario to be set up like I said in the intro they're talking about potential restrictions of six months in terms of a UK lockdown and even if those restrictions are lifted slightly towards that time one of the final things that is going to be allowed to happen when all this blows over is going to be mass sporting events so Marley we need to come we need to get used to the fact that we're not going to see football with crowds for probably a very long time yeah um, I think we we sort of mentioned it last week didn't we about um, how like yes football needs fans however they are they just have to accept that that they're the least important if we want to get this whole thing back on track which is ironically for the fans so for example you can't hold off forever because you haven't got fans in because the virus is going to spread around the country for a long a long long time like you, you can't take a chance on every single one of 50,000 people not having any symptoms at all but you can test 22 footballers or two 18 man squads you're talking about 100 people when you look at the both teams squads and technical staff and playing staff as well you can probably test them and then stick the the game behind closed doors on TV to then appease the fans. I think as long as the clubs support the fans financially in terms of making sure they don't lose out on any season ticket games that they've they've already paid for or any uh, travel costs or anything like that that, that they've booked way in advance, um, then the, the fans have to sort of say, OK, well, we'll watch it on Sky Sports because we've, we've not seen any football except the bloody Belarusian Premier League for the last uh, <laughs> five or six weeks. Um, Who's your favourite all... Belarusian team, by the way? Oh, FC Minsk. Slutsk. Slutsk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, people are going to be like, right, well, we need some sort of football on TV, so I don't really think the fans can say, oh, well, this is a joke without without us, because, as we've said right. before, it's ex- exceptional times require exceptional circumstances, and this is certainly one of them. The, the report last night coming out from... Um, uh, Miguel Delaney in the in the Independent um, is radical, but it's uh, it seems to have legs a little bit because as long as you can get this stuff done, then you don't have the the embarrassing nature of um, 
scrapping a game twenty eight, scrapping a season twenty eight games into it, and potentially mm. stripping Liverpool of a, a, a Premier League title that they they deserve, and giving uh, Bournemouth and Norwich and Aston Villa relegation when they when they don't necessarily deserve it yet because they've all got a fighting chance of getting out of it. So maybe this will this will certainly wrap everything up in a more uh, fair way for everyone. But whether they can iron out all the the little problems that it's going to have. Um, is is another thing. Those clubs would sue the Premier League, wouldn't they? Yeah, 100%. they would. Bournemouth and Aston Villa. You'd think that they would because they'd feel that they would have been, you know, unjustly treated. And they'd probably win. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because I, I guess the rules of the competition, there will be contracts and small print in the Premier League, um, which suggests that you know the the season can't be voided, you know, for whatever reason. Basically, there would definitely be a legal case for those clubs to be able to take on the Premier League. Maybe not so much for Liverpool because, you know, you obviously get money for winning the Premier League and although they haven't mathematically secured it, the damaging effects of winning the Premier League are far less than Premier League relegation financially. Mm. So I think definitely those clubs would have a case. This is why the season can't be voided, why it's just not an option because, as you say, there'll be court actions, there'll be litigation... For all the teams that are relegated, maybe the teams that aren't promoted as well, as you rightly point out, probably less so for Liverpool not winning the Premier League. It weirdly has less of an impact there. But once the next season gets underway, it's possible, or impossible rather, to then correct any of those situations. You can financially reimburse someone for the loss they might have had, as we saw with Sheffield United when they were relegated and West Ham stayed up with the third-party ownership deal with... um, Tevez and whatnot, and they were financially compensated for being relegated, but it still damaged the club for seasons and seasons and seasons to come. So you can't go back and reinstate clubs who have been wrongly relegated, which makes it impossible to restart the next season even. So in one way or another, be it behind closed doors or whatever, I don't know, or whether we void next season and continue this season where next season would have been played, the current football season does need to be completed in some way. Yeah, I agree. And do you know what? I worry for the championship. I think the Premier League will be fine, but I think it's that bottom half of the Premier League and the top half of the championship where things really start to get muddy because the financial crossover of teams coming down with parachute payments you know, the gold mine that is staying in the Premier League with the TV broadcast revenues. Teams coming up like Leeds, who we kind of know have gone for broke this season to try and get up in one kind of last desperate attempt to get up. Derby County look like they might have to secure a £30 million loan to keep themselves afloat. Themselves and Birmingham have already reached agreements with their players to defer half of their wages for four months. So they'll be getting a 50% wage cut. Mm. So the likes of Birmingham, Derby County, we will be seeing a lot of teams in the Championship go to the wall or at least be close to the wire of going bust and I think that is exactly why Jim the the Premier League season or any season for that matter can't be voided I think when you get to a certain level down the pyramid there is a a case for the the season being voided but certainly in the Premier League it's impossible for that to happen it becomes it almost seems like the right thing to do right now Uh, you know void the season football stop the world stop what's the point call it off chalk a line under it and carry on but it's not like Mm your Sunday league where you're going up the park and you're paying your subs and you're renting the pitch and everyone chips in a tenner and then you rent the pitch and that's your Sunday league game and you go and have chips and a pint down the pub afterwards. It's not like that. It's not It's not as simple as that. You can't just stop and restart again. This. These are businesses. These are big, 
power punching businesses that you know at the end of the day if if you just went to someone right your business is stopped now how are they going to be able to afford to pay rent mm. for the building that they're you know there's so many different aspects no need to go into it now but i certainly think that that there is a a case for the season having to be completed and i think that is the right thing if this tournament style way to do it is the right way to do it nobody knows but it might be the only way to do it it might be and you know if that is the only way that it gets completed then so be it i think the the implications beyond you know three months of a season are far more important so we just have to suck it up for these three months and say well that was a bit for want of a better word and to be honest this is the only way we can complete it and things will get back to normal as soon as we get this one out of the way Completely. One of the things I enjoyed seeing in the article, I was pleased to see rather, I should say, is the line that it's only going to happen, this idea of completing the season over a two month period, if logistically, politically and morally it's acceptable when the curve flattens, which means for once the Premier League egos aren't putting themselves first and there is a genuine concern for public safety and player safety, which at the end of the day, does have to come first. As much as we all want to see football back, that is what has to be a priority throughout all of this. Yeah, I agree. There's an, always going to be enough appetite for football. The fans will always be there. Football won't die as a notion, as a game, as a sport. Mm. It won't die. Some clubs might, which is extremely sad. Some livelihoods might, which is even more sad in my opinion. But football will always be there. And in what guise, we don't know, but it will always be there. And like you say, the safety of people is paramount in this situation. I'm sure everyone agrees. Plenty more still to come with this conversation, I'm sure, and more plans to be revealed by the Premier League very soon in UEFA, for that matter, as to how the rest of the season looks. Let's move on to Harry Kane, because we were talking about this on last week's podcast. We were talking about Harry Kane potentially leaving Tottenham Hotspur. This came after comments from Alan Shearer on a Match of the Day programme where he suggested that the Spurs striker would probably leave Tottenham within the next 12 months if they didn't win a trophy. Now... This has kind of had a bit of fuel poured on it by Harry Kane himself, who gave an interview with Jamie Redknapp via social media and pretty much confirmed exactly the same thing. Let's hear what he had to say. I love Spurs. I'd always love Spurs. But, you know, I've, I've always said if, if I don't feel we're progressing as a team or going in, in the right direction, then I'm not someone to just stay there for, for the sake of it. You know, I'm an ambitious player. I want to improve. I want to get better. I want to become one of the top, top players. So it all depends on kind of what happens as a team and how we progress as a team. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not a definite I'm going to stay there forever, but it's, it's, not a no, it's not a no either. So, Marley, what is your reaction to hearing those words from Harry Kane? <laughs> Well, if I was uh, if I was a Spurs fan, in isolation, already trying to fight off the the boredom and the depression that comes with it, <laughs> I would be so annoyed if to hear what he said in this in this interview with uh, with Jamie Redknapp because it just he didn't say I will leave Spurs, but he could have said no, no, I'm quite happy at Spurs for for the foreseeable foreseeable future, but he specifically mentioned. Um, if they're not being ambitious, and if you look at their league position this year and the way they've, the way they've kind of um, uprooted the club in terms of getting rid of Pochettino and bringing in Mourinho, um, I think that doesn't strike as the most ambitious thing. Um, they've gone backwards from last season, so if you're talking about ambition, they're going in the wrong direction, and that's clearly playing on Harry Kane's mind because. 
I'm just thinking of the poor social media manager at uh, at at Spurs because he's just going to be like, "Oh, Harry, why have you said that? Like, why have you not just denied it? Why have you not all that media training we've gave you, and it's gone out the window in a five minute interview with uh, with Jamie Redknapp because it's. I mean, he said, you know, if I don't feel we're going in the right direction, then I'm not someone who will just stay for the sake of it, which is for me that's that's. That's him saying, I'm leaving if we're not winning anything because I'm sick of trying and scoring goals and dragging the team to where we think we should be, but they're not there. That's the really weird thing, isn't it? Because normally these players are so media trained that they give nothing away in any answer. They just kind of fluff something. They don't say one way or the other. But here, and I don't know whether it's him being more relaxed because he's in his home environment and he's talking to someone he knows and it's on Skype rather than having cameras and microphones shoved on his face. But he's come out and said something that actually, in a modern footballing scenario, is pretty shocking. That he wants to leave the club if they don't fulfil his ambition and don't make him a better player and don't win him trophies. Uh, I guess it's shocking in terms of the context of it with it being on Instagram in a sort of video chat with Jamie Redknapp. I mean, it's shocking that Jamie Redknapp's actually squeezed any information out of someone, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's, it's shocking in the sense that if this was a post-match interview straight after a game, he'd probably go, you know what, I'm not going to talk about my future now. We've just got the three points. It's not the time to talk about it. With his manager in close proximity, with the press officer probably darting him some evils, suggesting don't you dare mention anything about leaving this football club because you kind of have that pressure of it being a post-match interview. When he's sat in his gaming chair in his house on a video call to Jamie Redknapp, it's definitely a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more chilled out. And I think we are probably less likely to see a reaction out of Harry Kane in that post-match environment as we are in the environment that I've just described. So it is shocking in that sense, but also is it really shocking when you listen to the to what he's saying? I'm going to leave Tottenham if we don't improve. Now, how long does he leave that? Does he leave that till the end of this season, whenever that might be? You know, does he leave it till the end of next season and give Jose Mourinho a full season in charge of Tottenham to see what he can do with that squad? I mean, are Tottenham going to bring players into the club? What's going to happen in the summer? There's so many question marks over Tottenham Hotspur right now. And Harry Kane certainly factors into that in a big way. Jose Mourinho knows that his chances of winning a title or a trophy with Spurs are greatly increased with Harry Kane in his side. And how are they going to replace Kane if he leaves? Son is a very good Mm. player. Lucas Moura is a very good player. But Harry Kane is one of the premier marksmen in Europe. And he's one of the best strikers. In, I think he's one of the best number nines in the world. And anyone that says he isn't, a.k.a. Joe McGrath, needs to give <laughs> their heads a bit of a wobble, to be honest. Because, I mean, for whatever reason, Joe hates Harry Kane. The guy scored 120-odd Premier League goals. What was he, 26, coming on 27, something around that age. And he's got a whole, you know, five, six years in front of him where he could be prolific. So around about now is when we saw Cristiano Ronaldo 10 years ago really step up his game and become one of the best strikers the world of football has ever seen. I'm not saying Harry Kane will get to that level. I don't think he will. But certainly, he's at a point in his career now. And as everyone mentions, this is when he should really be turning those goals into silverware. And when asked by Jamie Redknapp whether he would rather be the top Premier League goal scorer of all time and overtake Alan Shearer's 260 goals or win a Premier League, he said straight away, didn't even hesitate, I'd rather win a Premier League. And that, I think that tells you exactly what Harry Kane's mindset is. He would rather win trophies. Can he see himself doing that at Spurs? I think idealistically he want to. Realistically, I'm not sure it's possible. I think what's really interesting about what he was saying is 
for me, it proves that he's kind of been thinking about this. And obviously, he's been thinking about it. He is one of the top players, as you say, and he wants to win stuff because that's what top players do. When he talks about improvement for Spurs, I don't know what he means by that and whether what kind of level of improvement will keep him at the club. A couple of places in the league, that's not going to do it. A League Cup, an FA Cup, surely that's not going to be enough. He's talking about winning the Champions League. He's talking about winning the Premier League. And for me, Spurs aren't going to do that in the next two, three seasons without a serious amount of investment that we're just not going to see from Daniel Levy. They're miles off Manchester City. They're miles off Liverpool. There's no way they're going to be competing for the Premier League. And that means Harry Kane will leave the club. I agree, to be honest. I can't see them getting anywhere. They need they need a trophy of some sort. I mean, they need at least an FA Cup um, if, they, if they're going to start to convince players that they can win things. And I mean, the only way you can, you can convince players you're going to win things is by winning things because they got to the Champions League final last year and they, they just haven't built on that. They all, they all had that, that characteristic of, well, well, that was, that was good, weren't it? Like, let's see, let's see what else is in store for us away from Spurs. I mean, they, they lost players in the summer, like Kieran Trippier went, they never, they never replaced him. Right back's been a, a problem for them all season after that because of, Sergio Ria's moments of madness and, and injuries as well. So they've gone backwards from there. And it's clearly, I mean, this this wasn't an, an off-the-cuff comment from Kane. He's, he's clearly been told that he's going to be asked this question and he's probably thought long and hard about his answer. And he's thought, should I say this? And then eventually he's gone, yeah, sorry, I will, because I am, I am a, bit, uh, a bit annoyed that we're not winning things and I need to tell people that and... Unfortunately for Spurs fans, it's. I don't think it'll shock a lot of them in terms of what he said, is, but they are still disappointed to, to hear it. And of course, the one thing it means more than anything else is Harry Kane's name is going to be mentioned in most transfer gossip columns between now and whenever the Premier League does get back underway. And we're going to turn to the gossip columns next on Football Social Daily. We're going to be looking at the back pages of the papers to see who is going where. Plus, we're going to talk about some retro footballing action because Euro 96 is coming back for 2020 we'll do it next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to delve into the transfer gossip that's been flying around the internet and the back pages of the papers over the weekend. And we're going to start in Spain with Real Madrid, who, according to the Daily Express, are after Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but only if they can't get Erling Haaland or Sadio Mane, which seems like a bit of a scattergun approach for Real Madrid if they are genuinely the three strikers they're going for. Do you know what it sounds like? It sounds like when your missus goes to the shop and says, what do you want for tea? Said, oh, I'll have steak. What if they don't have that? Oh, we'll have sausages. What if they don't have that? Oh, we'll have chicken. That's what it sounds like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like a Tesco replacement order. Sorry, we couldn't get you bananas, so we've got you a can of beans. Okay, got you. <laughs> 100%. We've replaced this with a similar item. Yeah, okay then. Um, it, yeah, it's one of those situations where I think Aubameyang is going to leave Arsenal. And the reason I say that is because, funnily enough, a bit like Jamie Redknapp and Harry Kane, Kevin Prince Boateng... And Aubameyang had an Instagram live kind of FaceTime session. And 
uh, Kevin Prince Boateng was trying to squeeze a bit of information out of Aubameyang, saying, oh, you should sign a new contract with Arsenal. Everyone loves you there. You're going to stay, right? And he went kind of sheepishly. He said, sure, yeah, I'll stay. And you could tell in his face that he probably wasn't going to stay at Arsenal. And that sounds ridiculous for me to be able to say, looking at Aubameyang's facial expression, that he's not going to stay at Arsenal. People are probably thinking, oh, what are you talking about? But honestly, if you get a chance, go and watch the clip. I think I posted it on my Twitter page as well. So go and have a look at it if you can get uh, a chance to. I think you'll be able to tell that in his body language, Aubameyang was really uncomfortable with that question. I imagine Prince Boateng and Aubameyang are friends, but still being put in that situation and he knew he couldn't say anything, but it almost felt like he was conceding the fact that his time at Arsenal was done. I think Arsenal won't qualify for the Champions League. Um, I'm pretty sure they will qualify for the Europa League. Doesn't look like they're going to win a trophy. Um, the fact that they were knocked out of the Europa League by Olympiacos, I think, was the end of Aubameyang at Arsenal. I really do, because I think Arsenal had hinged their hopes on qualifying for the Champions League by winning the Europa League, much like some of the other clubs in Europe might do. Uh, this year in the Europa League so I think that was the end of Aubameyang at Arsenal I think that video call between the um, between the two of them kind of revealed the fact that he will leave the club how Arsenal replace him I don't know reports that they might be after Luka Jovic we mentioned him on last week's podcast as well Real Madrid have already got Jovic they don't seem to be using him doesn't look like Zidane really likes him Uh, Aubameyang is 30 now so, you know, it's a, a step for him to take from Arsenal to Real Madrid. He's played for some of the biggest clubs in Europe, Arsenal, Dortmund. And if he does go to Real Madrid, then, you know, will he fit in? We'll have to wait and see. Feels to me a lot like an agent trying to engineer a move this, who's going, ah, oh, look, Real Madrid fancy my guy. Surely you'd like him as well. And then the likes of PSG step in. It doesn't feel like necessarily he'll be off to Real Madrid, but I agree with what you say, Niall. I think he's off somewhere would you agree Marley? Uh, yeah it seems that way doesn't it um I think I don't really know why I mean I don't really know why Arsenal haven't tied him down because even though they're going through a bit of a, a funny period in terms of like finding themselves under a new manager and stuff he's never not scored goals for Arsenal since the minute he got there he's scored so many goals I think he's got about 75 or something now in mm. in two and a half three seasons whatever it's been and he's been just the the he's he's now the captain and then they're on about losing him to to Real Madrid at the age of thirty. I just I don't really understand why Real Madrid would want him in in terms of his age. I mean they could literally buy pretty much any player on the planet. So going for a thirty year old Arsenal striker is a bit strange for me. Um, I think if if Arsenal could work a way into swapping uh, Aubameyang for Luka Jovic, I think. Th- Arsenal would get the better the better value for that because they would get a, a young, fantastic striker who's got probably ten years at the top level left at him if you can get the best out of him, which uh, which for me seems seems uh, logistic, but it, it could just be paper talk. It could just be people uh, filling their filling their quarantine time with with uh, headlines that they've got out of one of them generators you see floating around on on Twitter of uh, get your <laughs> your birthdays the name and the the month is the player you uh, the, and your your batteries the fee is going to go for so you know what I mean it could be it could be anything but um if if there is some truth in it then I mean Arsenal engineering a a swap deal including Luka Luka Jovic would be uh would be beneficial to them I think 
his record's unbelievable, isn't it? 49 Premier League goals in 74 Premier League games for Arsenal. You know, that's that right? that's well. a very, very good record. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll hit the 50 goals when the Premier League returns. As Marley says, he's been an absolute bagsman for Arsenal ever since he touched ground at the Emirates. However, he is 31, actually, in June. So, you know, he's he's going to be the other side of 30 by the time the summer rolls around. And I think my sort of hunch on this is that Arsenal, he's got a year left on his contract. So come next January, he'll be able to start talking to other clubs about a possible move. I think Arsenal could still get 20 odd million out of a club for Aubameyang with a year left because he is a proven goal scorer. And like I say, he scores goals for fun. And I think they would rather squeeze a bit of cash out of Aubameyang with the year left than let him go for free. Um, doesn't look like he's going to sign a new contract if they offer him one. If they do, I think he'd leave anyway. I just think that would that would mean that, that clubs you would have to pay more money. But that might actually price Aubameyang out of a possible move away. And it does feel like he wants to be playing Champions League football, to be perfectly honest. I think he's he doesn't deserve to be playing Europa League football. Come on, he deserves to be winning trophies with that record. So... I think Arsenal will try and sell him. I really do. I think he will leave. I think he'll leave for a fee and I think that will be uh, the way he leaves Arsenal. I don't think they'll let him go for nothing. Obviously, Sadio Mane is one of the players being linked in that story as well, which if he is to leave Liverpool, it makes the arrival of Timo Werner, who has been rumoured for months and months and months coming to Merseyside, even more likely. And the Sunday Express are saying that deal has moved a little bit closer because Werner has now been granted the squad number that he wants if he's going to play for Liverpool. I'm just amazed that this stuff makes a difference nowadays, that a football player decides he's not going to go to a club because he can't have the number he wants on the back of his shirt. Did you hear that story about Joe Cole at um, Chelsea when he signed for Chelsea? No. Well, he had a big thing about this squad number. So they signed him... Yeah, but they signed him from West Ham, obviously, and uh, they signed Juan Sebastian Veron at the same time, Chelsea... And uh, Ranieri promised Joe Cole a certain squad number. And when he turned up, him and Veron did the press conference at the same time. And Veron had the shirt with Joe Cole's squad number on it. (laughs) And Joe Cole's dad apparently kicked off massively and said, said, my son is not signing for Chelsea unless you sort the squad number out. So basically they stripped Veron of the squad number he wanted and gave it to Joe Cole. (laughs) Well, he ended up with number 10 at Chelsea. That's the one he wanted. Because he wore 26 when he was at West Ham. But then obviously when he went to Chelsea, 26 was John Terry's number. And you're never going to get John Terry's shirt off him. So he went for number 10. No, in the end, it was his dad who persuaded Ranieri to strip the number 10 off of Juan Sebastian Veron. And uh, I think he went for 20 in the end and he gave it to Joe Cole. Wow. It's incredible. I mean, how does that make a difference nowadays in football? But I suppose the more important part of the story is that Timo Werner seems like he is a done deal coming to Liverpool and that could speed up the exit of some players, potentially Mane, but more likely, as is being reported in the papers today, Shakiri could be leaving Liverpool. He's off to Seville and he deserves to be a regular somewhere, doesn't he, Shakiri? Because he's better than a bit part player and he could be a great signing for someone. It looks like that someone might be severe. Yeah, I think when um, when Shakiri left Stoke to come to, to come to Liverpool, I think he knew that he wasn't going to be in the team every every week. He's going to play most of the cup games. He might get 10, 15 minutes in the Premier League every every week or two. Um, but he, he knew that he was going to win trophies and have chance to, to really compete for things. And he's he, you know he's had two years there and he's won a Champions League and he's about to win a Premier League when, when this all gets sorted. So it was a good move for him. And now 
it's time to to move on to like a, a not quite elite club, but somewhere where he will be in his in in his size pool. For example, he's he's too small a fish to be in the Liverpool pool, but he was too big a fish at Stoke, where he was clearly the only uh, the only best the only very very good player by the time he left. Um, so Sevilla would be would be uh, a, a club that fit him, you would think. Um, they're in the Europa League pretty much every year. Uh, they're a good, well-supported team. They're one of the not quite one of the best, but very, um, very real chance of coming uh, in that fourth position behind Atletico, Real, and Barcelona in Spain. So they've got chance year on year to to get that. They might not get it this year, um, but they they're still going to be in that shout next year. They're kind of like a almost like an Everton in terms of the Premier League. In terms of like they might really push every year they have got the squad to do it and they have got chance so it does seem like a, a good move for him we'll do one more bit of transfer gossip because it involves your team marley and the newcastle chronicle are you familiar with the newcastle chronicle yeah yeah good they're key they're reporting that newcastle are keen on taking burnley midfielders robbie brady and jeff hendrick who are both 28 and both available on free transfers that could be the big transfer news for newcastle this summer it's the kind of deal that really gets the blood pumping that isn't it imagine marley's face when they sign burnley players i can't wait it i tell you what the amount of you know the amount of transfer rumors and everything that go around and we're about to be taken over by saudi saudi billionaires and what have you and then we get linked with robbie brady and jeff hendrick from burnley it is a bit of a come down um but digging into it I mean, the, Hendrick in particular is one of uh, Burnley's better players. However, he's 28. He would only come on a free, so that would be at uh, the end of the season. Um, our transfer policy is not to sign players that are over 26 and don't have the best years ahead of them. Um, whether that changes if they come for free or not, I'm not quite sure. But um, considering we couldn't, couldn't even work out a deal to get Salomon Rondon last year, who's, who'd scored us 13 goals in the Premier League. We couldn't, uh, it's hard to see why we would bother ourselves going for players like Hendrick and Brady. I think Brady's had his injury worries over and over again. Although I do like him, he's got his excellent left foot on him, good crosser, um, but never really looked like top level kind of thing or, or too good for Burnley even. Um, and then Jeff Hendricks, like a another one who's like sort of a number ten. Where would he? Where would he quite get into our team? We don't really play with a number ten. We don't play a flat four four two midfield like Burnley do. So it's a bit of a strange one there. Um, I just don't. I don't. Know, I just think it's paper talk. I, I don't think any of them will sign for us in in the summer. I just don't think they they suit what we're trying to do in terms of the type of players we're trying to attract and the type of fit they would have in the in the team so i wouldn't uh i wouldn't think about it it also says in the in the in the um the newspaper report that they're both uh still negotiating new deals so it wouldn't surprise me at all if they both just stayed at burnley uh, yeah and also with hendrick i think he's he was injured for a while and 
um, Sean Dyche brought him back and kind of played him as a central midfielder since he's returned. And like you say, Burnley playing that 4-4-2. So he spends a lot of time kind of hovering around the centre circle, kind of holding fort a little bit and he'll hang back and wait to kind of make runs on the edge of the box when Burnley have the inevitable corners and set pieces that they have. But does that mean for you, Marley, that... It, I mean, like you say, it's just speculation they probably will stay at Burnley, but... If they do come in, does that mean that possibly one of the Longstaff brothers might leave the club? Because, of course, we're still waiting to see them sign new contracts at St. James's. That's exactly what I read into this. Because, as you say, it's not a very Mike Money Ashley move going for a 28-year-old. There's no sell-on value. But if he can get in a couple of free transfers, then it does potentially leave him with the option to move on one of his assets in the club, like the Longstaffs. Uh, potentially. Um Interestingly enough, the uh, the two Longstaff brothers have just changed their agent a couple of weeks ago, which um, would suggest that the problems that are, that are causing the the pair of them not to sign new contracts would possibly be agent revolved around the agent. Maybe they're demanding too much of a fee or trying to sell them uh, sell them a little bit higher than than what the club. Um, the club rate them at, but I my my gut feeling is that the long staff will still stay, um, and if they do, like these two won't won't come in while while uh, they stay because we've still got Isaac Hayden who's who's happy now, and um, we've still got John Joe Shelby who's just signed a new five year contract. Um, we've got uh, Bentaleb who's doing okay. He's on loan, so he'll probably leave. Um, there might be room for one centre midfielder on top of what we've got if we lose Bentaleb back to uh, Chalka in the summer, but I can't. I just can't see it being these two. To be honest, I think they're not. They just don't seem right for Newcastle. We're going to finish today's show with a little bit of chat about international football because Euro 2020 might be off the table, but ITV have stepped into the breach and they're going to be screening every single game of Euro 96 online instead of Euro 2020, which for me is my favourite international football tournament of all time. Maybe my favourite year of my life, 1996 as well. So to finish off today's podcast, I want us all to pick one international football memory that if you could pick one thing to watch over and over again, just one game from the international calendar, what would it be and why? I know, Niall, you're a bit of a misery guts when it comes to international football, so I'm going to make you go first and select your highlight. Well, first of all, on the misery guts theme, what a strange idea this is, but brilliant to broadcast Euro <laughs> 96. Just when everyone is getting on board of the Gareth Southgate bandwagon, buying waistcoats, Marks and Spencers <laughs> were sold out, they're going to screen him messing up a penalty in Euro 96. What a way to get everyone's spirits up. Nice one, boys. But yeah, you know, that that's, uh, that's going to kind of bring a few nasty memories back for some people. But certainly it is kind of a, a bit of a British thing to kind of almost revel in the misery of, uh, of England's defeats. For me, one international game which is etched in my brain, and I'll never forget it for an equally um, glum reason, was Ronaldinho's goal against uh, David Seaman in the 2002 World Cup quarterfinal, I think it was. Ronaldinho, no one really knew who he was. He was kind of this sort of skinny, long-haired character at PSG when PSG were kind of this club. They weren't a juggernaut like they are now. But yeah, he kind of clipped it over David Seaman's head from 40-odd yards. Did he mean it? No one knows if he means it, Jim. No one still does to this day whether he, whether he actually did that deliberately. But I remember David Seaman's ponytail flapping in the wind as he was flapping at the ball going over his head. And uh, yeah, just the look on his face, the 
hands on the hips thinking, oh no, and that was the World Cup gone. And that was kind of the golden generation, wasn't it, for England, as it's called, mm-hmm. with the likes of Scholes and Lampard and, um, you know, Owen and Beckham. So yeah, that, that game for me is, is etched in my memory. On a more positive note, the, um, the Euro 2016 game against Wales was good. Uh, when Daniel Sturridge bundled it in late on. Uh, there were some good limbs after that goal went in, I can tell you. <laughs> to score against Wales uh, late on, it shouldn't have taken us that long to beat Wales in the first place. But certainly that was a, that was a good game that I wouldn't mind watching back again. Everyone loves a last-minute winner. Go on, Marley, who, which game are you going to have on your on repeat in isolation? Do you know what? The one, the one that sort of stuck in my mind was the, uh, the 2010 World Cup final between France and Italy when... Uh, Zidane put on an absolute masterclass of football. He was he was he was brilliant in that game and ended up ended it in the most controversial fashion when he nutted uh, Marco Materazzi in the chest. Um, but just his like him in that tournament, he was just unreal. Like it, it was his last um, the last games of his career because he'd, he'd retired from from club football as well at the time and. Just to turn it on, I think he was about thirty-four or something. He was still just unbelievable. Like the touches, there's compilations of him in in that tournament, which is just the jaw-dropping moments. Like how easily and how comfortably he just runs games, and he, even even in the final, he he was absolutely brilliant. And then uh, Matarazzi said, "Your your sister's a not nice person," and then he got headbutted, which I still think is absolutely. Like if you're gonna go out, go out properly. And then there's that heartbreaking moment, a uh, picture of him walking past the World Cup um, <laughs> on his uh, that's his last ever professional moments as a footballer. So um, it's it's one of them where that sticks in my mind. Um, if you're going for England, it'd probably be the five-one over Germany uh, when we when we have a Germany in in uh, was it uh, Berlin? I think it was at the Olympic Stadion. Munich, I think the Olympic, uh, yeah, Munich Olympic Stadium. Was yeah. it? Um, yeah, and mm. you know f- that was a fantastic performance. Uh, Gerard's goal was a belter, and and as the chant goes, even Esky Esky Yeah, and he did a strange celebration like putting a golf ball into the hole. I always remember that. Yeah. But going back to Zidane, I think um, England played France in the group stages of that tournament, and England were one nil up and can and controlling the game pretty much. And then I think Zidane scored a free kick and a penalty late on, and France won the game two one. And it was just like the old maestro coming back to, to haunt England. I, I remember that very, very clearly. I'm not sure whether that was Euro 2004 or the World Cup 2006. It was certainly yeah, one of those was. tournaments. It but, was um, the Euros, yeah. Was it? But yeah, just Zidane was always yeah. kind of, he was never out. Even with five minutes to go, you know, he could just do something special. So yeah, he is a quality player. Well, for me, it actually is a moment from Euro 96. And it's England's demolition of the Dutch in the group stages, which I think is probably... England's greatest performance that I've ever seen. And like I say, it was a brilliant summer anyway. It was baking hot right the way through it. It was beers in the garden afterwards. It was barbecues in the garden before the games. And England went all the way to the semi-finals. There were Paul Gascoigne wonder goals. There were penalty shootout wins over Spain. It was just a brilliant tournament. But the icing on the cake was the victory over the Dutch where Shearer and Sheringham just earned their SAS tag and it was phenomenal. So if you've not had the chance to watch that game in full before, if you've only ever seen it on those like talking head programmes you get late at night on Channel 4 where they talk about greatest ever England goals and stuff like that, this summer is your chance because it's a brilliant game. Don't pass it up. Just make sure you can revel in it in all its full glory. It's a good one. Right, we're going to leave it there. 
That is Football Social Daily for today. Thank you very much for listening. Click subscribe and you'll get the next episode as soon as it's ready. The next show is coming out, obviously not daily at the moment because there's not enough football to talk about to do this every single day. But we will have an episode for you on Wednesday. So click subscribe and you'll get that as soon as it's ready. Niall, Marley, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donna Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.